You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference, and today I'm joined by our guests, Jerron Jones and Alexia Jordan, who will be discussing the current threat landscape, how threats can be exploited, and how to defend against these cyber threats. First, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now, I'd like to ask Jaron and Alexia to take a moment to introduce themselves before we dive into today's topic. Jaron, why don't we start with you? Oh, yeah. Uh, my name is uh, Jaron Joseph Jones. I am the CEO and founder of Just One Solutions and JOS Tech, our brand new uh, nonprofit. Um, and thank you for having me on today. Welcome. Glad to have you. Alexia? Hey, Casey. It's good to be here. And thank you for the invite. I love to blend emerging tech, international relations, and security issues into my work. Um, I come from a a bio and national security background. Um, I love outdoor activities. I love my friends. I love cooking. I love hosting. (laughs) And um, professionally now I get to analyze really hard tech problems for consulting firms and other organizations, um, trying to merge the government aspect and the security aspect of what our landscape is facing. Excellent. Well, I am thrilled to have you both here. And this month we're talking about all things hackers and threats. And we've certainly heard a lot about potential threats to both the private sector and government agencies, particularly in our critical infrastructure. So this question is for both of you, but Alexia, let's start with you. Can you walk us through what you are seeing as trends in emerging tech and how they correspond to forthcoming threats? I think that, you know, if you you look at this question, you'll see various lists or similar hits on things. But I I thought about this question, and I wanted to give some of my favorite threats, because there's so many. Um, The first one I'd like to mention is the race to quantum computing and its forthcoming implications. I'm pretty sure your listeners have heard of quantum computing, and everyone's speculating about how great it'll be, increased analysis, problem-solving, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it also has, it's a dual-use technology, so there are scary things that it could be used for, like breaking encryption algorithms, um, and these encryption codes threaten our most regularly used cyber protocols across governments and sectors. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that uh, towards the end. The IoT market is another fun threat landscape. The Internet of Things is projected to increase to $18 billion by the end of the year. Sandscamp, YouTube, GitHub, and all these other, like, you know, knowledge-based or code-hosting platforms teach learners how to quickly hack into these Internet of Things, um, cell phones, Amazon's Alexa, your refrigerator, all these types of things. And the fact that the code is readily available for, you know, script kiddies to practice and learn, um, you know, makes it even more uh, accessible to hackers. And the third thing I'd like to mention is ransomware. Um, we all know that that's like a household word now. Um, a lot of different code is out there to practice ransomware on whomever one so chooses, um, as well as uh, well-orchestrated uh, and, and categorized organizations. Um, given all the news surrounding attacks on hospitals, critical infrastructures, firms globally, 
we know it's a huge problem. Um, last year, there were more than 75% of attacks in Q2 of 2020 than the whole of 2029. There's, you know, a ton of ways that people are using ransomware to um, using employees or people or direct access to get access. Uh, so that's another thing. And I think um, maybe two honorable mentions should go to AI-powered cyber and increased malware analysis. <laughs> that's a lot. And it's funny that you mentioned quantum because my husband and I were just actually talking about that at dinner the other night, and I was like, oh, so is is that like a cybersecurity risk because the algorithms can be decrypted or figured out so quickly? I'm probably not using the right language, but... No, actually you are. What people are trying to figure out, uh, well, at least... Some people are trying to figure out the quantum computing space is still in its research phase, still in its execution phase. Right now, um, in terms of countries and organizations, China and the U.S., there are private sectors are, are leading the way. And we are very far, oh, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say very far, we are a nice way away from everyone having access to this type of technology. However, we used to think that, for example, it would take like 20 million qubits in a quantum computer to break some of our harder encryptions. And right now, uh, I think China is leading the way on about 70 qubit um, quantum computers. You know, I just don't think that by, I don't know, 2040, we're going to be that far away. And plenty of organizations, governments, embassies, et cetera, have secrets that need to be kept for more than 20 years. So what is going to be developed and what it's going to be able to break in the next decade or two? you know, needs to be prepared for right now. So I would totally consider that a cyber threat. Yeah, yeah. Jerron, anything to add there? Oh, yeah, most most definitely. I guess I, I would uh, go back just a little bit and, and talk a little bit more about our critical infrastructure. And we talk about something, you know, as, as recent as the Colonial Pipeline uh, cyber attack and different things of that nature, I would go more into uh, more SCADA systems uh, when we're talking more of our electrical grids, our power plants, our infrastructure, uh, we have to think about these things were built many, many, many years ago, way before we had this advancement within uh, information technology and cyber. So now going back and looking at these things that we deem very critical, um, power plants, water uh, treatment, et cetera, and being able to bring them up to date with some of our emerging threats and threat actors that we have currently, um, I think that's a huge undertaking in bringing down that threat landscape and making sure that it's still able to serve the purpose that it was built for, but then be able to be very resilient to a lot of the attacks that are emerging. So I would just, you know, just go back just a little bit to think about that, because now critical infrastructure is becoming a big talk amongst government, et cetera, to make sure that it's cyber resilient, um, that we have people and support systems that are able to get it kind of up to date. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, monopolizing headlines for sure across the industry uh, because those threats are so relevant to national security, right? So, John, I want to look at this a little more and ask you how these threats can be exploited because if so much, I mean, if everything is a threat landscape, that definitely makes it all the more challenging to track attack methods, right? And whack-a-mole is a really hard game to win. So can you share with our listeners what you're seeing as the latest TTP attack methods and tricks? 
one of the, the biggest things is making sure that with any system that we're implementing, that we have a baseline that's based off of security. Um, and I, sometimes it's kind of hard because it's, you know, adding the cost, it's adding more processes, um, et cetera. Usually our defense system was on. A lot of times we were air gap systems, and you know that's just basically separating the physical target and then the su- support systems not having connection to the internet or the outside world. But now these days, that's that's almost impossible. So it's a lot of progress that's been made, whether it's been financially, et cetera, through different things as um, AI, machine learning, and, and again, Lexi went into quantum based and quantum based cyber attacks to make sure that we can defend and put together different systems to be able to defend uh, those types of attacks that are targeting those physical assets as well as the digital assets. So, Alexia, I want to talk about the role of public-private partnerships as it relates to stronger defense. How can governments better protect industry and citizens? I think there's still a lot of work to do. Um, you know, much like after 9-11, we saw the restructuring of our IC landscape, you know, to enable more information sharing. I would definitely say after the 2016 elections, we're seeing something similar. The federal government has been trying to prioritize sharing more meaningful threat information and security recommendations to help different organizations manage cyber risks. Um, CISA, the FBI, and the entire IC suite to one extent or another have created these various programs, phone numbers, methods of outreach to the private sector and state and local governments. And, you know, while I don't purport to have, you know, like <laughs> the catch-all answers, I do think that DOD, CISA, the FBI, Homeland, and Congress should streamline uh, the federal rules to reduce state government mm-hmm. compliance costs, to really work on um, information and communication sharing. Um, and, you know, specifically, I do want to talk to um, the broader defense industrial base. Um, the government spends at least a third of our GDP on government, and this trickles down to many nooks and crannies of the U.S. So I think that what would be helpful um, is also solidifying clarity about CMMC rules and needs and the certification, helping these small to mid-sized contractors be safe and remain in compliance, which largely speaking will help keep our country safe. Um, you know, for example, I remember meeting a woman who was a third party or so contractor to the Air Force, and she's like this small business out of Alabama that provides this one specific thing to the Air Force. Again, small business, about 20 employees, right? And the government is trying to tell her like, hey, CMMC is a new thing. You need to have all of these <laughs> procedures and, and security uh, rules in place. And... One, that's just hard for any small to medium-sized business, which, again, makes up a large chunk of our defense industrial base. Um, and two, if you're talking to any other small and medium-sized organization, maybe a locality, a state, there's just the way that, you know, cyber threats work is all you need is an entry. All you need is one. Mm-hmm. All you need mm-hmm. is, you know what I mean? So if we can yeah. just do the federal government to do a better job of helping streamline the process, reduce compliance costs, but also help these organizations that quite literally are not Raytheon. They're not Lockheed. They don't have the, you know, $20 million budget to have, you know, an IT, OT synchronous system in place. Yeah. So one thing that I can take away from that that might be meaningful is the need for <laughs> more security training, right? So, Jerron, can you talk a little bit about security training and what 
should organizations be doing to ensure that they have a strong security training program, not only for their own organization, but, you know, as Alexia mentioned, you know, these smaller businesses are part of the industrial complex, right? And so their relationship with their vendors and partners. Most, most definitely. I think the the one thing that we, we have to kind of note is that, you know, most cyber attacks are going to rely on some human form of interaction at some critical juncture to be able to exploit some type of system. Um, so our weakest link, but then also our strongest link is always going to be the person. It's going to be the human. Uh, proactive cyber training, I think, is going to be the biggest help and kind of uplift for the cyber community. And, you know, we, we partner with different vendors and, and different companies, whether it's Pearson, CompTIA, EC Council, to be able to give this uh, type cyber training based off certification. However, the need, especially within our, our, our government military uh, sectors, is going to be more uh, proactive and more simulation, whether it's um, a cyber range, right, where you have an actual simulation of an attack and how do we deal with those types of attacks? What are our mitigation techniques? Uh, what are our incidents response? Uh, what things are we getting from U.S. CERT every day and how do we respond to them in a proactive manner instead of as a uh, reactive manner? I think that our biggest asset always is going to be the human workforce. Now, there's different ways, you know, technically to force a system. However, the education of a engineer, an analyst, or even your desktop support, or even an assistant that's just working for an executive that is security trained and security aware uh, can stop the beginning of a, a major cyber attack. Um, so I think moving to a more proactive education based off of hands-on skills, meaning more simulations, more cyber ranges, et cetera, is what's going to lead our cyber community within our nation uh, to just become more cyber aware and make our, our systems stronger um, is, is by having more proactive and different things that they implement within different parts of the military, different parts of the government, such as a POEM means, plan of actions and milestones. If we're having proactive meetings to say, if this happens, if we are a victim of ransomware, what is our first step in incidents response? And having this before it happens. You know, a lot of times we, we do so much work that we don't stop to kind of say, okay, let's have a planning exercise or let's have a cyber exercise um, to go over something as if it happens. And just like when we were going to school and everybody had to do a fire drill. We all have to line up in the hallway, um, you know, hold your hand to your buddy and, and walk out to the specific areas to make yourself safe. I think the same thing at some point is going to have to happen in cyber and in uh, cybersecurity in our nation. Absolutely. You know, Katie, if I can, like, build on that, um, John made an excellent, excellent, excellent point about, you know, tabletop exercises and, you know, POMAs. Um, but to add a, a super asterisk onto that, organizations need to invest in their security departments. Um, a lot of what Jaron is saying that needs to happen is correct and, and, and smart, but you have organizations that want to let entry-level IT jobs go unfulfilled because they don't want to pay the, you know, they don't want to pay the talent, it's expensive, it's cumbersome, blah, blah, blah. I definitely just want to put that plug out there to pay professionals what they are supposed to be paid to ensure the security of their organization stays intact. 
Absolutely, right. And it has to come from the top down, right? <laughs> most, most definitely. I think a great point that Ms. Jordan made before is, is speaking towards a different program such as CMMC. I think if it's led by state, local, federal to start to help small businesses be able to pass the different audits and get to that level of securing CUI and different parts of data, I think that would help, whether it's a subsidy, whether it's a grant, to be able to help those different organizations because a lot of times, you know, they're on the red line when it comes to budget. So if there's some type of help, some type of lift to say, okay, we're going to get your guys trained, we're going to help you pass your audits, make sure that you, one, can compete um, against other uh, businesses for these uh, particular contracts or whatever have you, and also just to make sure that you're keeping your business running and that it's secure. I think that also could be a, a great help uh, going forward. And I love that because it leads right into my next question, right, because that is something that organizations can do to avoid being the next cyber attack victim. But what are some other steps that organizations can take to help strengthen their defenses and mitigate cyber attacks. Alexia, let's start with you. As we have harped on investing in talent across the board, um, I said across the board on purpose because a lot of people think that, you know, you need the PhD in quantum computing from MIT to like, you know, ensure that you don't get whatever, like you need this, this high level of formal education and you need to have all these degrees behind your name. Um, and that's literally not true. You can get certifications and training while in college, while in community college, or on your own while working. And those are just as valuable uh, because we need people to staff the entire board. We need people to track logs. We need pen testers. We need program managers. We need, uh, you know, the administrative folks that speak both the language of the organization, but also the language of the engineers and the technicians. Um, so when I say across the board, I really do want organizations to not have a, a biased look at who you know, they should hire because you can't have one type of mind to keep our country and our organization safe. You definitely need a diversity of opinions and thought processes and education. So that's in the space of investing in talent. I mentioned not letting entry-level IT jobs go unfulfilled. I'm not sure if you've seen this before, Casey, but on social media, there's, you know, all of these IT, IS, information security or whatever groups, you know, Instagram profiles, whatever, and they like to make jokes, but these jokes are very serious. If you go to um, LinkedIn or ZipRecruiter or any of these websites, they will ask for this high level of education and be able to do all of these things and have five to 10 years of experience in the field for like $15 an hour or like $20 mm-hmm. an hour or just something absolutely insane. So now companies right. are thinking that they need all of this and they're only willing to pay this. And people simply aren't going for it, especially post-COVID or, you know, during our endemic state. There is a revolution happening in the workforce that I personally believe is beautiful. The power of employment is more so in the hands of the people now, and they are demanding what they need Mm -hmm. and what they want. So um, it's not just come here and make us safe. It is, you know, this kind of mutual exchange of needs. Cyber hygiene, pay for the training, pay for black box tests. Test your employees. Mr. Jones spoke about that earlier. The federal government has 
try to make you know meaningful steps in this direction by enacting um, legislation that mandates uh, different levels of reporting, cyber reporting, incident reporting, exercise programs. So I think that is a very, very important step. All of these things definitely need to become law. Um, and I think that this isn't just a... Uh, necessary as a, a federal mandate, because often those types of things, even if it's federal, they are shot to the larger organizations with more infrastructure. Um, I think that this should definitely be a state-by-state state, you know, implementation process as well. Uh, so just like every state has their own Department of Transportation, their own Department of Health and Human Services, states should look to what guidelines the federal government is coming out with and mimic those within the confines of their state and their bureaucracy to ensure that they are testing their own organizations, nonprofits, institutions, et cetera. And to that point, just greater collaboration with security and government officials, even if organizations, I know, you know, uh, tons of small business owners, you know, friends, authority sisters, et cetera, I just think that they are a neutral party in this. They think that, you know, I sell jewelry on Facebook, like, leave me alone. I have nothing to do with any of these cyber policies or whatnot. Um, but the truth is, is that if you're online, then someone wants to attack you. It, it really doesn't matter what you do. Um, more than 70% of our threat space is the private sector and small businesses. So I think that to avoid being the next cyber victim, I think everyone just needs to put on their collaborative hat and put in the work to build a bridge between uh, organizations and, and the government. I love that. Jerron, did you have anything to add there? I would say always resource inventory. And what I mean by that is from a company standpoint, uh, human resources as well as your hardware and your technical resources, uh, making sure for the human resources to start with training and awareness, uh, physical, logical network, you know, and security uh, to make sure that they know, you know, where the safest parts of the building is the same thing as knowing where the safest parts of the network or security, making sure that they understand why they have a complex password policy. Um, have simulations to show them how easy it is to hack a password that might be eight characters or, or less. Um, I think the, the education around those resources and showing them why they have to do a security awareness training every quarter and why they have to learn new parts of the building and where different network equipment is and why they have multi-factor authentication. Giving them that education empowers them, and it empowers the actual resource to actually care about security. And I think the same thing happens when you speak of hardware and your networking and security tools. Looking to see when the last time it was patched. What are the vulnerabilities out there? Um, what are the teams or the vulnerability assessment teams? Do they have enough people for the, the hardware? And a lot of times it is, is resources, right? You don't have, you have one guy that might have a thousand servers. So, you know, something's going to, you know, uh, he's going to miss something. I mean, it's, it's, it just, just comes with just being human, right? We all make mistakes. So making sure that that person has a team, that we have the teams and we're filling the teams, uh, as Ms. Jordan spoke of, those entry-level jobs, mid-range jobs, they could do a lot of the small tasks that might, you know, bring down your threat landscape or your attack landscape. Um, those little things, just making sure that you're doing an inventory of your resources, whether they're human, technical, logical, et cetera, and then putting around the different things that it needs to grow in security and just to make sure that your uh, company uh, is safe. And again, uh, being proactive, tabletop exercises, cyber simulations, 
I think that is needed. And I think the last part that we really need to speak on, and uh, Ms. Jordan talked about it a little bit, um, I think at some point we're going to have to have cyber in elementary schools and middle schools, et cetera. Uh, kids are walking around with phones, tablets, laptops. They have cyber devices. So at this point with math, science, reading, et cetera, you're going to have to put cyber at some point um, because, again, they can be victims of attacks just like we can. Absolutely, yeah. I actually just bought a book this morning by um, Jeanette Kamal. She wrote, Oh No, Hacked Again, the children's book that has okay. a companion coloring book to go along with it. So I just got that for my two daughters who are eight and 10 years old. So I agree with you. It's hugely important to get young kids speaking the language of cybersecurity and understanding what that is and how to protect themselves and just awareness of the reality of the digital world that they live in, I think, is so important. So before we wrap up, uh, which, by the way, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so happy that you were both able to join me today. And I would love it if, before we wrap up, um, do either of you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Casey, I just looked up Oh No Hacked Again. This is so cute. I love this. Right? This is This is adorable. <laughs> Yeah, I want a second, third, fourth, what Jaron said. Um, and you know what's also crazy? If you, like, spend time on YouTube, you have kids that spend time on YouTube, these babies are, are the script kitties. Now, some have more access to intelligence and information than the others, um, which I do think is a problem that we should address. However, kids are actively trying to learn in this space just from what they see other kids doing on YouTube. So... I love this, and, uh, yeah, we should totally prioritize children's education. Um, but last words, I'm thinking about your, your listener base, and I hope that if I have not been overly annoying already in trying to speak to the business leaders about paying well and hiring well, I hope that they can re-listen to what I've said and, and hear how much I'm – me and Mr. Jones are trying to emphasize this um, – Humans, as he said, are the best and worst line of defense in our companies, in our, in our country, across the world. Um, and we just simply need to invest in them. And any excuse past this as to why we're not is, is foolery. It, it really is. You know, we could talk about the, the new cool programs, the new organizations on the FBI list. We can talk about the new code that, you know, hackers are, are coming out with and, and what criminal organizations are doing um, and how they're, how they're money laundering Bitcoin or what treasuries doing. We could talk about all of the technicalities, but literally every drop of this has to do with humans, what they've learned, and how they have learned to either shield themselves or protect themselves. So I think those are my parting words. I think mine is just a, is, is very simple. It's proactive education, proactive community, proactive security. If we're able to educate young within our different communities about cyber, um, about security, about IT, I think that we're just going to kind of just lift our whole society with cyber. I mean, it's something that we use every day. And I think if we're proactive about it and we're getting our resources out to everyone, especially through education, I think that it could just do a great lift within our country. So um, proactive education, proactive community, proactive security. 
And I think those are, you know, the mission of RSA Conference, right? Our goal is education. And I am so appreciative that both Alexia and Jaron, that you are here to help us share your wisdom with our community. Thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. To find products and solutions related to hackers and threats, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. Thanks so much to everyone.